So here's an interesting thing I found, Dave. We're, we're about to talk about Puerto Rico. And my friend Stan Cox, who's been on uh, the Anti-Empire Project podcast, he, he's been to Puerto Rico a bunch of times. He sent me this academic paper about Puerto Rico today, which is, um, you know, in, in a kind of a devast- permanently devastated economic condition. Um, it has a debt h- higher than its GDP, $72 billion dollars. Um, so the per capita debt is apparently really, really bad. Um, and it was actually in this war that the United States introduced the concept of odious debt. So odious debt means, you know, odious is another word for hateful, I guess. Um, and odious debt means this debt that was contracted not in the interests of the country, then the country does not is not under obligation to pay that debt back. So the United States argued um, in these negotiations, the post-war negotiations, that Spain was running Cuba, Philippines, Puerto Rico, not in the interests of the people of those countries. So the debts that they incurred, the United States would not have to pay back. The United States should not be on the hook. The quote was, the loans were hostile to the people required to pay them. Now, Spain said, look, you're taking over these countries, you're taking over the debts. Um, but the U.S. position was, if the debt was not incurred in our interests, in the interests of the people, then it's odious debt and we don't have to pay it back. <laughs> so now, just by pure coincidence, let us begin the story of Puerto Rico um, <laughs> in the Spanish-American War. So... Um, as usual, I'll, I'll just tell a bit about the background and then you can talk about the military aspects of the war. But um, beyond the academic paper on odious debt, uh, uh, Stan Cox passed me a book called a short book called uh, Puerto Rico, What Everyone Needs to Know by author Jorge Duany, D-U-A-N-Y. So Puerto Rico, one of the worst um, kind of indigenous genocides uh, in uh, by the Spanish, there were probably a hundred thousand people uh, on the island of Puerto Rico, um, and it went down to like about two thousand, you know, one thousand five hundred forty-five, according to the census of fifteen thirty-one. So, in you know, forty years, something like ninety-eight percent of the population was killed. Um, a lot of that, as usual, is smallpox and other plagues, but the Spanish also fought you know exter you know were going to exterminate um people uh work them to death through slavery the encomienda system gold mines um there was a big um you know a famous leader aguebana the second who fought the conquistadores um in a battle in sotomayor um the he he executed the main slave owner the main encomendero and 80 others, and there was a big battle at Yagecas in 1511 where he died. And that was probably the big, um, the last big resistance movement against the Spanish. Um, So prior to that, um, it was Taino. The indigenous people were called Taino. They spoke uh, a language called Arawak, and they called Puerto Rico Borinquen. Um, So it sounds a little bit like Puerto Rico, actually, Borinquen. And people from Puerto Rico still call themselves Boricua, to this day so you can hear that in pop culture and you know if you know any people from puerto rico or if you're puerto rican 
you know this obviously um prior to the spanish it was like a, a agricultural economy cassava sweet potato corn lots of root uh, vegetables uh, culturally there was like a high culture with sculpture um there was uh you know various sports there was a big sporting culture uh various kinds of ball sports um and then like lots of medicinal uh, plants and ceremonial tobacco it was a matrilineal culture so that's what the spanish uh focused their destructive energy on um they built a couple of big fortresses del morro and san cristobal and they were defending against other caribbean indigenous uh, nations actually that apparently raided them um as well as british french and dutch um Puerto Rico was understood as a military bastion, not a business, not a place of much business. So there were, um, there was some sugar, uh, coffee, you know, there was slavery. There were, um, in 1530, 2,284 uh, Africans out of 4,000 in the colony in 1530. By 1765, so 200 years plus later, there were 44,000 inhabitants, 5,000 of whom were slaves. But 1790, there were 40% of the population was sort of free people of color. Uh, 43% was white. So the slave population was relatively small. By the time of emancipation in 1873, uh, there were 29,000 slaves. And the total population in 1899 was a close to a million. Um, there were lots of immigrants coming from lots of other Caribbean islands, uh, including lots of conservative people fleeing from the Haitian Revolution, um, the Venezuelan, you know, the Bolivar revolutions. Uh, there were lots of uh, Puerto Rico somehow became like a, a bastion for like the Miami of <laughs> the Miami of the 19th century. Everybody who was elder conservatives fleeing the revolutions ended up in Puerto Rico. Um, so. Education monopolized by the Catholic Church, of course, uh, the Spanish Empire. Uh, there was one year when there was freedom of religion. 1869, there were some reforms back in Spain, apparently, and uh, that was quickly overturned. But in that one year, there was some Anglican church that established a school, apparently. Um, there was a notorious day labor pass system, which was sort of akin to slavery, called the Libreta where landless workers were forced to uh, carry these passes and work as day laborers to whatever they were assigned. Um, so yeah, sugar, coffee, plantations, the Spanish policy. By Spanish policy, your, the Spanish colonies were quite deliberately underdeveloped in the sense of developing manufacturing. Um, but yeah, because of these conservative exiles, Puerto Rico didn't develop a big independence movement during those Bolivar and Mexico uh, rebellions of the early 19th century. Um, in 1867, there was an independence leader named Betances. Uh, he wrote a, a document called The Ten Commandments of Free Men, including these commandments included the abolition of slavery and civil liberties for all. And Betances looked forward to a confederation with Cuba and the Dominican Republic. Um, quoting Jay Sakai, the book Settlers, which I've mentioned uh, before in the Robber Barons episode, uh, on September 23rd, 1868, at Lares, Puerto Rican patriots proclaimed the First Republic of Puerto Rico 
amidst an armed uprising against the Spanish occupiers. Although crushed, the cry of Lares marks the start of an unbroken history of patriotic warfare by the Puerto Rican people. Increasingly, the Puerto Rican forces controlled not only the mountains, but also the rural areas right up to the towns of the isolated Spanish garrisons. Finally, in 1897, the desperate Spanish Empire agreed in negotiations with Puerto Rican representatives to a charter of autonomy. This recognized the power of the Puerto Rican nation to set up its own currency, fix tariffs on imports, negotiate trade agreements with other nations, and veto, if they wished, any Spanish diplomatic treaties applying to Puerto Rico. The end of Spanish rule was evident. Similar concessions were won by Cuban and Filipino rebels. So I'm just, the details of the Charter of Autonomy um, outlined by Sakai are important because these are all powers that Puerto Rico was going to lose once the Americans uh, got in. Yeah, and it sounds like uh, Spanish rule really looks like it's on its last legs. It's yeah. coming to an end. Yeah, the 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 independent the independence movement was winning the war, right? Which might be an additional reason why the Americans had to strike now rather yeah. than let these places uh, win their own independence. And, th- and this has been in the cards all along. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt's friend, uh, Cabot Lodge, Henry Cabot Lodge, wrote him a letter. And he wrote, Puerto Rico, spelled P-O-R-T-O, Puerto Rico is not forgotten, and we mean to have it. Oh. So in May of 1898, uh, a small squadron of American ships, 12 of them, um, bombarded San Juan the capital and landed some troops there. And you, (laughs) I, I didn't realize this. You, uh, you really think that they all read Mahan's book. Yeah. They're all obsessed with this book on sea power because Mahan says that Puerto Rico is the Malta of the Caribbean. Now I don't really understand that geography, but you can probably tell me what, what that means that something is the Malta of somewhere well malta's pretty dead center of the mediterranean right between the western med and the eastern med and it's also a fortress that resisted several sieges including uh the turkish invasion in the uh 1500s i mean they they landed a hundred thousand troops there they were (laughs) doing everything they could to, to take it and yet they couldn't couldn't capture it and you know if we ever get to uh, World War II, you'll see the importance of Malta. It's a pretty strategic location. I, I'm not sure that Puerto Rico is the Malta of the Caribbean, though. <laughs> Neither in terms of location nor in terms of uh, being a fortress. I guess what matters is uh, that they believed it. Yeah. Yes. So the Americans landed 1,300 uh, troops, and the first armed opposition they ran into led to the Battle of Yauco and then the Battle of Fayardo. These are pretty small engagements, but it's very interesting. There, Again, as you say, there's no major disparity in weapons. And you might even say that the Spanish and Puerto Rican troops have an advantage. They know the land. Uh, they've been fighting over it for years <laughs> against each other, but now they're going to fight against the invaders. 
So you're uh, saying the Puerto Ricans and the Spanish fought together against the Americans? Yep. Wow. I did not know In that. several cases, yes. I, I think like Marti, that the Puerto Rican uh, yeah. you know, uh, independence movement realized that they weren't going to get a great deal from the yeah. Americans. And they had that. I guess they had that charter already, so they knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're fighting to defend their gains, for sure. And I guess the Spanish troops are fighting for, I don't know, honor? <laughs> or or just because? Yeah, well, you're, you've, I guess you've got a job to do, right? That's... Yeah, yeah. But the Americans have uh, the numbers. They have also the you know, supporting equipment, the Gatling guns and the artillery, plus their fleet that can come by and bombard targets. So there are several small battles most of them inconclusive. Um, many of them involve the Americans walking into a cleverly arranged crossfire. Um, and then uh, all of these battles seem to follow with the Spanish troops retreating and going into the mountains. And that seems to work very well. However, there are the usual... Um, exaggerated claims so there was one battle in the mountains um Ibonito and the Americans are forced to retreat after taking some fire and some of their soldiers are, are wounded so they come back a few days later with artillery and try uh, a surprise attack which fails their soldiers get confused and some of their officers are wounded and they're forced to retreat. So the Americans didn't capture Puerto Rico. Uh, it's on August 13th that military actions are suspended. So the president and the French ambassador acting on behalf of Spain sign an armistice and Spain surrenders Puerto Rico. So but it kind of had to do with them losing elsewhere probably too. That's it. Yeah, that's it. After their defeats uh, elsewhere, they they stopped fighting in Puerto Rico. But it it wasn't actually conquered. It was basically signed <laughs> over. Interesting. Um, I didn't know this beforehand, but the story of the Spanish uh, naval squadron, uh, Camara's squadron, I found really interesting. So you were talking about the disparity. <clears throat> It's not in this squadron. Uh, once the war began, Spain concentrated its best, the best units of its fleet at Cadiz. They were worried about the Americans coming and bombarding their coasts or even landing. Or So that's where they concentrated their best ships. They have two new battleships, the Peleo and a brand new armored cruiser, the Emperador Carlos V. Who, which weren't quite ready. They were in a French shipyard and hadn't been delivered, but they were rushed into service and joined Camara's squadron. So the Americans did not raid the coast. You might remember Teddy Roosevelt was in favor of doing this, but the American government didn't, didn't think it was necessary or, or maybe they didn't think it was wise. So Camara's squadron is idle. They're just sitting at Cadiz while... Other Spanish ships get uh, strategic, hammered. At, 
Strategic mistake. Wow. Yeah. So while they're sitting there, the Cuban squadron gets destroyed, and uh, the Philippine squadron gets wrecked at Manila Bay, as we'll see later on. So the Spanish had a long talk about what can we do with Camara Squadron? It's our best ships. What you know? What what kind of strike can we do with them? So they they considered sending them on a uh, a raid of the American coast. They were looking at Charleston, South Carolina. And they thought, hey, we could go and bombard there like the Americans. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? That would have been interesting. Yeah, they could have got their attention, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it probably would have been treated as the greatest atrocity in the history of warfare. <laughs> I can see the headlines already. Um, but in any case, they decided that the fighting in Cuba was going so badly that it wasn't worth doing. They also knew that they were going to have trouble in the Philippines. So they decided to send Camara's squadron to the Philippines. So if you look at a map, the shortest route from Spain to the Far East is through the Suez Canal. We haven't talked about the canal yet, but uh, we certainly will in a future episode. But it's up and running, and it's supposed to be uh, open to all nations. Except that <laughs> the Americans... It's de facto controlled by the British. Yeah, yeah, the British are in control. But why would they prevent Spain from sailing through the Suez Canal? That would be a hostile act, wouldn't it? Well, for the right price. <laughs> yeah, so the Americans had the foresight to go and basically buy up all the coal available through the Suez Canal, and especially at the exit to the Suez Canal. So when Kamara gets there, he finds out he can't get through there because there's no coal. The Americans have bought it all up. And then the British came up with an interesting decision. Kamara squadron could not be permitted to coal, to so to refuel, in Egyptian waters because that would violate British neutrality. So... Huh. They are good. They are good at coming up with exactly the decision they need at the at the time, eh? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> An interesting legal decision. There was a Canadian. There was a Canadian diplomat, uh, Holmes, I think, and he he was talking about Canadian diplomacy during the Vietnam War, and he said, you know, we we stick to our principles and we find a way around them. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, that that's very very much what's going on here. I just find it fascinating that the Americans had the foresight to go and buy up coal in the Suez Canal to prevent the Spanish from using it. It gives you the idea that maybe they knew in a little more in advance that they well, were Well, there's yeah, there's always like an intelligence war going on, right? It doesn't seem like the Spanish uh got it right if they were sitting guarding a coast that was never going to be attacked but on the other hand the americans must have known if they were planning to go for the philippines that the spanish would use the suez canal to try to get there yeah so anyway that's the reason why spain's best uh warships never saw action during the war it's interesting too i was just thinking while you were talking about the squadron about the the treaty that was signed um, 
when Puerto Rico was signed over. And it's kind of like, you know, that mothership trope in the in the movies, like at the end of Lord of the Rings, when they're fighting in front of the the gates of Mordor, and then all of a sudden, you know, they drop the ring in the thing, and then all of Sauron's troops just kind of spontaneously combust because, you know, <laughs> okay. it's like it's kind of like that that it's kind of like that, right? You're on the battlefield, you're fighting these guys, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's no point for them to fight anymore, so they just give up. The war's over. They the new possessions, uh, and especially Puerto Rico, Guam, as we're going to talk about in a minute, and the Virgin Islands, which are acquired in 1917. Um, they're, the Supreme Court rules that they're in a category called unincorporated territory. So the exact language is they belong to, but are not part of the United States. Wow. <laughs> so in case you're wondering if uh, the U.S. has colonies, uh, the U.S. has colonies. Um so Puerto Rico's ruled by military government until the 1900 uh, Foraker Act. So in the Foraker Act, the U.S. basically creates a government for Puerto Rico, <laughs> and they just make it up as they go along. So they have an executive council with six U.S. members and five Puerto Rico members, all appointed uh, by the by the Americans. Um, and then there's an elected, so there is an elected body called the Chamber of Delegates. There are 35 members, and that Chamber of Delegates has basically <laughs> no power, <laughs> um, but it's elected. So then um, um, there, there's, there's way less power, basically, that Puerto Rico gets than it had in the Autonomy Charter of 1897. So it makes sense that they fought for that. Um, and the, you know, the Americans are pretty explicit that they don't believe the Puerto Ricans are fit to govern themselves because they're racially inferior. So that's the theory behind holding Puerto Rico as an unincorporated territory. It's a racial theory. And that remains, you know, that remains the basis for, you know, whether that's like explicit or not, that remains the basis for Puerto Rico's current status. Um, in 1917, uh, Puerto Rico, Puerto Ricans get um, U.S. citizenship, but, but there are quite. certain, what's that? But not quite. But not quite. <laughs> so they uh, they don't have a right to a trial by jury. Uh, obviously, they don't have rights to representation that states have because Puerto Rico is not a state. Um, so it's and, citizenship light. Yeah, citizenship light, exactly. And the U.S. actually does a lot of trying to get Puerto Ricans to leave. There's quotes like, you know, we there's lots of work, laborers here, but what we really want are enterprising, energetic, uh, you know, again, code for white people, right? Um, there, there was a big protest in 1916 uh, because the U.S. tried to completely suppress the Spanish language. Um, they renamed all the schools to like Washington School, Jefferson School, Lincoln School, whatever, right. that kind of thing. Um, but there were some protests, so they started uh, allowing Spanish back in after that. Um, so just to bring us back to, um, well, I guess in 1952, there's a, a new constitution. Um, but it's like, you know, again, for what? It's not a state. It's certainly not independent. There's a clause in the constitution of 1954 that 1952 that requires that the government 
of the territory pay back bonds before they do any other government expenditure. Um, when they try to do local laws, um, you know, to seek bankruptcy protections or whatever, these are struck down by U.S. courts. Um, you know, when they when Puerto Rico has a debt crisis, the U.S. Treasury said we will not be bailing out Puerto Rico the way we bailed out the banks in 2008. Um, Puerto Rico can't enter treaties or commercial arrangements like, you know, Petrocaribe, which would have gotten them subsidized fuel. They have no control over borders, customs, aerial space or communications. Um, so it sounds like the only thing that they have uh, is the debt. They have the debt and I guess they can leave. They can go to the U.S. They can go to New York or whatever. Um, okay. And in 2015, the UN there's a UN special committee on decolonization, which apparently issues annual resolutions on the colonial status of Puerto Rico and its economic status as a consequence of its colonial status. Um, in 2015, in response, the U.S. acknowledged that Puerto Rico has no separate sovereignty and cannot pass laws without the approval of Congress. In other words, oh, Puerto Rico is a colony. Wow. Well, I, I didn't want to ignore uh, Guam. I just found this story fascinating. <laughs> so while they are attacking Cuba, Puerto Rico, and so on, and the Philippines, there's a uh, small squadron, uh, some transports carrying troops, and uh, escorted by a cruiser. Uh they sail to Guam and Captain uh, Henry Glass, commanding the squadron, opens his sealed orders and they find out that he is to proceed to Guam and capture it. So, so with his cruiser, the USS Charleston, uh, he starts firing uh, shots at Fort Santa Cruz and there's no answering fire. Uh, two local officials who had no idea that war had been declared uh, they thought that the Americans were firing a salute. So oh they God. took a small boat and came out to the Charleston to apologize oh. for their inability to return the salute because they didn't have any gunpowder. And <laughs> that's when Captain Glass told them, actually, we're at war. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Yeah. So the following day, he landed a lieutenant to meet the Spanish governor and arranged the surrender of the island and of the Spanish garrison there. Uh, the Spanish garrison consisted of 54 Spanish soldiers oh who were captured and uh, they were transported to the Philippines as POWs. The Americans didn't even leave any soldiers on the island of Guam. There was one U.S. citizen on the island, uh, a fellow named Frank Portusak, and he told Captain Glass, I'll look after things until you know American forces come back. So that's the capture of Guam, the glorious uh, victory for American arms. Just <laughs> no wonder it was a glorious war. They they didn't actually win Puerto Rico or Guam. They were just they were they were handovers. Mm -hmm.